Welcome to the channel of Anna Purdue. Look for the link below the podcast and make sure to follow for future podcasts. And the link below this podcast, it will direct you to your favorite listening studio, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Well, once you open the link, you can scroll over either the Apple, Spotify, or Google button and then just select your favorite platform. And once you get there, make sure to look for the channel Anna Purdue. And I want to give a huge shout out to Vet for Peace, Darren J, Angela E, Karen C, Daniel B, Jolie R, Kristen S, Rodney T, and Leonard L for your donations to the channel. Thank you so much. I am so grateful to each of you. And um, since many of you know, PayPal has permanently suspended my account because of my content. So future donations can be accepted at the stripe.com link found below the description box, or you can click the donation link that's on my website at annapurdue.com. And another way you can support this channel is by making purchases of the Patriot products that are found on the same website, annapurdue.com. And I want to give a hat tip to GAWP on Telegram for this segue and most of the information in today's podcast. And he writes this intro to what's going to be a pretty heavy message today. And GAWP writes, There are certain people groups who are very fond of using Machiavellian deflection to hide their crimes against humanity, proven conclusively by this old book from 1920. This telegram post is about a book that was written in 1920, and it was titled The Cause of World Unrest. These two important pages are in summary to what we are facing today, and they can be found in the preface to American Edition. And it certainly applies to today, and this is how it reads. There have been innumerable occasions when the loyalty of a new citizen to his new state has been admirable. On the other hand, both here and in America, we have found that race instincts have been stronger than oaths of allegiance. For the sake of this podcast, I will be using the term Farsis to describe a group of combatants who are successfully usurping all the strides and growth that America and even Great Britain have tried to achieve over the centuries using their political positions and silencing of opponents via social justice means. Before I go further with a preface to the American idiom, let me explain who these Farsis are. We're going to start all the way back around 60 BC. Well, the Roman triumvirate Pompey brought Judea under Roman rule, and he pushed all the Israelites into the areas of Galilee, Jericho, and Jerusalem. Then he settled Greeks and Syrians in the rest of the land of Palestine. Originally, Galilee was settled by the troop of Benjamin, who they always followed the tribe of Judah. Well, a few years earlier, Hyrannicus, a descendant of the Maccabees, conquered the land of Idumea. 
Idumea was the homeland of the Edomites. He forced all the Edomites to be circumcised and follow the Israelite laws. This was a big mistake. They were told explicitly by Yahweh, never mix with the Edomites. Even though Hyrannicus incorporated these Edomite people with the Israelite nation, these people were still called by the Greeks and Romans, Idumea, what today is known as modern Petra, Jordan. From this time, the Idumeans ceased to be a separate nation, though the name Idumea still existed in the time of Jerome. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Esau married into the family of the Canaanites. And the Canaanites were the people that God told Moses and the Israelites to kill everyone and drive them out of the land of Canaan, considering many of them were giants. It's suspected these people were tampering with genetic DNA alterations, which rendered them non-human. The Israelites were warned never to mix or marry with the Canaanites, and God gave Edom the land south of Judea. There they were later driven western by the Nadabeans to the area that became Idumea. However, their border was only 19 miles from Jerusalem, so they were really close. Well, the land of Palestine at the time of the Messiah was similar to the United States. The land was very diverse and had lots of nationalities. The word Israelites in scripture refers to the inhabitants of the land, but it can also mean the tribe of Judah in some cases. The name for the land of Palestine was called Judea because after Hyrannicus conquered the land of Idumea, the combination of names Judah and Idumea simply became Judea. Now, at the time of the Messiah, the Sadducees were in complete control of the temple, or at least that part of the temple, and the Pharisees were the actual synagogue leaders. There were some 6,000 Pharisees during the time of the Messiah, which meant many were non-Israelites and were in fact Edomites. When Herod came to power, he solidified his position by bringing in relatives from Idumea and appointing many non-Israelites to important positions, and he killed the entire Sanhedrin. Herod was practicing a form of perverted Judaism since many Edomites and Nabataeans had been commingling with the Israelites and had adopted their customs. In fact, the Edomites were called the Herodians in Scripture and were actually politically aligned with Herod. They were the ones who plotted with the Pharisees to kill the Messiah. And here are some biblical examples. The first one, Matthew twenty-two sixteen, And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that thou art true, and teach the way of God in truth, and cares not for anyone, for thou regard not the person of men. So, this confirms that the Herodian title was an implication of the allegiance with Herod and the Pharisees. In Mark 3, 6, And the Pharisees went out and straightway with the Herodians took counsel against him how they might destroy him. 
Mark 12:13 and they sent unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians that they might catch him in talk. It is clear the alliance of the Pharisees and Herod are perverse impostors to truth. A passage, a passage that was in John 8:33 it proves that some of the Pharisees were Edomites and it reads they answered him We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? This is when our Messiah was telling us that he came to set us free. Well, they were right there in John 8.33 saying they've never been in bondage. So the Pharisees telling him that they've never been in bondage, that could only apply to the Edomites because, indeed, the tribe of Judah was taken into captivity in 585 B.C. by Babylon. The true people of Judah would have never told the Messiah that they were never had never gone into captivity. So this verse right here proves that the Edomites were mixed among the Pharisees. Yet, They weren't the only group that mixed into the pharisaical position of power. Remember, Jacob got the birthright blessing, and here's all that Isaac could bless Esau with when he said this in Genesis 27, 38. And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Verse 39. And Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be far from the fatness of the earth and far from the dew of heaven from above, and you shall live by your sword. Verse 38 through 40. Every hand against his neighbor. Very, very bloody people. Then it talks about that in the end, they will break the yoke. This is what the descendants of Esau are trying to do right now in the year 2021. Let's see where some of the descendants of Esau are. Genesis 36 gives the genealogy and the tables of the generations of Esau. Genesis 36.1 And these are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. You will notice that they're all intermixed with the DNA-tainted Canaanites. Let's see where one of the descendants of Esau, Edom, is particularly singled out. In verse 12. And Temnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore to him Eliphaz Amalek. Amalek is listed in the Bible as one that God would have war with in every generation. Amalek is no longer a nation, but scattered throughout the Middle East. What we are dealing with with Amalek Pharisees is one of the cruelest, bloodiest of the descendants of Esau. If we know them by their fruits, then we can probably understand where these extremely hateful militants come from. Probably some of the descendants of Amalek are scattered within the rest of Esau, Edom, and the Ishmaelites. There is another group of people who are also running the synagogue in Jerusalem that is important to mention. The Bible in the Arabic version named Iran as Pharis, and the Persians that immigrated in Jerusalem, Pharisean, because they come from the country Pharis. 
The letter P pronounces as F or PH in Hebrew. Therefore, the Persians identify as Pharisees had vanished in Western history because of the misspelling of the name Pharis with a P rather than an F, which means Iran. The Bible in the Arabic version always mentions the Midian when speaking about Persia, otherwise Iran, because Midia was a Persian colony. For example, Med and Pharis actually means Midia and Persia because they were considered as one empire, the Persian Empire. My question is, did the Edomites take up the mantle of the Persian title Pharisee, or were these two groups of people somehow related? I don't know. Uh, we already know um, the Esau-Amalek connection, but my question is, what about the Ishmaelite connection? I don't know, but it sure it deserves further research. So let me know in the comments if you have any answers to that. But in the cases of the Farsis, we find a people which has preserved both its religious and its racial ideals intact through many generations of cruel persecution. And this is a race which has persisted in spite of such terrific pressure, constantly applied and often without mercy or or justice. And this must be acknowledged to be a great and viral nationality in the mere fact of its persistence. But when we consider that this race has not merely persisted, but has achieved enormous power and influence in every civilized country, our admiration is easily aroused. Yet, there is another side to the picture. How are you to regard these strangers in your midst? Are they Americans? Parsi Americans? American Farsis? The answer to this question is the solution of the Farsi problem. Farsis will, however, reply with assurance that they are not a race but a religion and that to differentiate between them and other religious bodies is sheer prejudice and bald anti-Farsiism. In some instances, this claim is justified. I mean, there are in England Farsi families that have lived there for centuries, and their devotion to that country is beyond question. But it is necessary to distinguish, therefore, between those Farsis who have definitely adopted a single nationality and those to whom the Farsi nationality is the only one that counts. So how is one to distinguish? There again lies another great problem in this greater problem of pharisaical condemnation upon the world. Roughly speaking, the only way to mark out a line which would separate the good Farsi citizen from the bad Farsi citizen is to apply the political test. As a rule, though, it is not without exceptions. A Farsi who is politically active in a country is also racially active. But there are, of course, many Farsis who are indifferent to the politics of the country in which they live and yet are ardent Farsi nationalists. In a word, because the Farsis can and do possess a dual nationality, they must remain suspect from the point of view of the man who acknowledges exclusive allegiance to a single country. This suspicion, which seems to me to be Natural, and by no means exaggerated, goes by the name of anti-Farsiism. There is yet another element raised in the book, the cause of world unrest. 
There is a suggestion that the Farsis are not in control of the unrest movement, and in fact, there is even a higher degree affecting the movement coming from the Charleston institutions. These Charleston institutions are a very secret society, social justice work I'm not allowed to mention here, but I think you'll figure out who what I'm talking about. There is a mention of a publication written in 1896 titled Le Diable A 14 Siacle. In this publication, after mentioning some very familiar names and written letters connected with these things like Mazzini from Italy, Gabriel Joggin Pages, Charles Hacks, and Albert Pike, an ominous picture is painted. It seems Albert Pike was giving orders to Mazzini to follow in Italy. In these letters, we learn of a pontiff connection to these very secret society, Charleston institutions. We even learn the Vatican will at some point be driven out of Italy and, and into Russia. And in these letters, the following is stated. That is why when the autocratic empire of Russia will have become the citadel of papal Christianity, we shall unchange the revolutionary nihilist and atheist, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm which will demonstrate clearly to the nations, in all its horror, the effect of absolute unbelief, mother of savagery, and of the most bloody disorder. Then, Everywhere, the citizens obliged to them defend themselves against the mad minority of revolutionaries will exterminate these destroyers of civilization and the multitude disillusioned of Christianity, whose deist soul will up to that moment be without compass, thirsting for an ideal but not knowing where to bestow their worship, will receive the true light by the universal manifestation of the pure Luciferian doctrine, at last made public a manifestation which will arise from the general movement of reaction following the destruction of atheism and Christianity, both at the same time vanquished and exterminated. Yep, this is their plan. It is evident these people have been planning and arranging for centuries the rise of their Antichrist false light Luciferian doctrine while we were sleeping. Understand, these people are serious. If we look around the world today, it is clear. They have set the stage. The plans to desecrate the children of Yahweh is further exposed in their 1928 publication titled Fascism Against Christianity, The Great Liberation Declaration by Kazarian Julio Evola. In what this fascist writer Julio Evola deems the properly cultural field, he claims fascism ought to begin by promoting critical and historical studies. The question is, whose history? Not partisan studies, but cold surgical analysis of the essence of Christianity like anti-Christian Louis Ruger's work in France 
published in his collection, Masters of Anti-Christian Thought. In other words, they plan to brainwash Christians, perhaps in concentration camps. The writer goes on to write, At the same time, fascism ought to promote studies and research on the spiritual side of paganism and to work to diffuse such knowledge, studies extending from paganism's true vision of life to rigorously appropriate, because many are not, explorations of the Mediterranean tradition in its primitive and metaphysical nature. These are the very kind of Pharisees who were in the temple during the time of Jesus the Christ who conspired to remove him from earth. In the end, these people who truly believe they are so intelligent are truly fools. GAWP reminds us on Telegram of this very important fact. These are the same Khazarian, Bolshevik-converted, Farsi, Catholic, Ashkenazium gypsies trying to cover up their crimes against humanity. The Russian Bolsheviks assassinated six million, some of their very own people and some descendants of the Israelites in World War I, not World War II. Also, these same people murdered at least a further 250,000 innocent Europeans in, in World War II concentration camps, as documented by the International Red Cross. Genesis 27, 38-40 And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? And Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be far from the fatness of the earth and far from the dew of heaven from above, and you shall live by your sword. Every hand against his neighbor, very, very bloody people. <laughs>